Carolina church. Boy, were we desperate. <laughs> Seriously desperate. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, titles up there. When our plans don't work out. Anybody relate to that one? <laughs> okay. Uh, it was kind of unique because I'm. I was thinking, okay, you know, I, I, Easter's coming up, and so you got Palm Sunday, and I'm just kind of, you know, evaluating what, uh, you know, what messages I'm going to be bringing. And this is almost like a Palm Sunday message, but it's not really Palm Sunday yet. But uh, anyway, this is what the Lord put on my heart. And uh, I actually, it wasn't real easy doing this message because I felt like uh, either I've heard from God or I haven't on this one. All right. And I'll let the Lord be the judge. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask you. I'm going to let the Lord be the judge. But, but anyway, sometimes plans don't work out. And um, God was just kind of showing me some things that I'm going to pass on to you today, okay? All right. Lord, I just ask for your blessing on your word. And Father, I thank you that it's not my words that will change a life. It's your words that will change a life. It's your words that will bring clarity. It's your words that will bring victory. And Lord, let it be your words today, anointed by your precious Spirit, that flow <laughs> this morning. Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. Let me start with a story here. A young man from an impoverished background dreamed of a better life for himself and his family than the hard, scrabble existence he'd known growing up. He saved all he could and went deeply into debt to launch a grocery startup in a town called New Salem. His partner had an alcohol problem, and he ended up so far in the hole that he referred to his financial obligations as, quote, the national debt. He gave up on ever being a successful businessman, and it took him more than a decade to pay off his failed dream. He went into law and then politics, and in 1860 was elected president. He was an avid Shakespeare fan, and his favorite quote came from Hamlet. Quote, there is a divinity that shapes our ends, rough-hew them as we may. He came to believe this deeply about his own life, but also about the nation he led. His entire second inaugural address is an amazing, profound reflection on how God was at work in the Civil War in ways more, than, more mysterious and profound than any human being could fathom. What a loss it would have been, not just to him, but to the whole nation, if the doors of that little grocery store that Abraham Lincoln started in New Salem hadn't closed. His plan was to own a grocery store. And it didn't work out. So he ends up becoming the President of the United States. <laughs> through a very difficult time. <laughs> when our plans don't work out. Um, the Lord kind of gave me three things, so I'm going to pass those on to you. And they're in phases. Phase one. When you assume your plan is God's plan. That was quite the response there. Okay, <laughs> When you assume your plan is God's plan. So, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at, um, looking at Jesus. 
and uh, different aspects of his ministry. In the year 63 BC, Pompey, the Roman general, captured Jerusalem and the provinces of Palestine became subject to Rome. The local government was entrusted uh, part of the time to princes and the rest of the time to, to procurators who were appointed by the emperors. Herod the Great was ruler of all Palestine at the time that, at Christ's birth. So here we've got the nation of Israel and they're under the rule of the Romans. And this is, that's the uh, background that Jesus comes into this world in. They were under Gentile rule. They hated that. They hated that. They were longing for the deliverer. The one that would set them free. <clears throat> then Jesus of Nazareth, he was known as Jesus of Nazareth, he starts his public ministry. He comes out into the open and he starts teaching. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. People are hearing him and they have never heard anybody speak with such authority. They're amazed. When he's talking about the kingdom of God, he really knows what he's talking about. When he's talking about God, he really knows what he's talking about. They're amazed. And then he starts performing miracles, healing people. People being set free from demonic possession. I mean, just all kinds of things are happening. And then he feeds the multitudes. And they're thinking, is this the one? Is this the deliverer that's going to set us free from the Romans? Now let me just start reading in the scriptures here. John chapter 6 with verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And then we see something happen. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go uh, among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the prophet who's supposed to come. What were they talking about? Well, you have to go clear back to Deuteronomy to find out what they're saying. And we'll just look at that verse. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses is speaking to the Israelites and he's telling them about this prophet that is coming. 
And he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And then it says a little bit more later on about that, but we'll we'll just stay right here. Moses was a mighty deliverer. God used him to free the Israelites from the Egyptians. I mean, it was a miraculous deliverance. And then he led them out of bondage into this land of promise. And Moses said, there's a prophet like me that's coming. And so the Israelites, you know, they've had various prophets come, but they're waiting for this one. And now in this situation where Jesus has just fed the multitudes, the people are saying, surely this is the prophet. This is the one. But look at what happens right after that. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. Verse 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. This is the one. This is the king. He's going to deliver us from the Romans. Our nation's going to be free again. Let's make him king. And they weren't going to give him any choice. They were going to make him king by force. And Jesus just gets out of there. But they had this plan. The people had this plan. It's it's looking like Jesus is the answer. And he's going to set us free from the Romans. Our nation's going to be free again. Well, I want to go now to um, the last few days before Jesus' death and resurrection. And I'm going to be reading in Luke chapter 19, a few verses there. Luke 19, starting with verse 28. But after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Now, if somebody was getting in my car and told me the Lord needs it, I wouldn't give it to him. (laughs) But God was involved in this thing, okay? God was in this thing. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. Now, they threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it, And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory to the highest. The crowds are, they're sure. This is the King. They're proclaiming it. And he's going to set us free. He's going to deliver us. We're not going to have the Romans over us anymore. Their plans are playing out. It's looking good. They're thinking of that prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Let's just take a look at it. Because this is in their mind as all this is happening. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation 
gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As Jesus was doing this, he's fulfilling publicly uh, this promised king, this Messiah. And the crowd believed that this promised king, this Messiah, this Savior, would be a social activist, political leader, who would finally restore Israel nationally and rule the nations. That's what they're thinking. That's their plan. And things are right on course. Sometimes, you and I, we assume that these plans that we have God's plans. And we set timetables. So I'm going to be married by a certain age and I'm going to have a family by a certain age and I'm going to have accomplished this by a certain time or I'll have a ministry that God is just using powerfully by this time. We have these plans. And we're just kind of assuming that they're God's plans. And that was the first point that the Lord was saying. So many of my people assuming that their plan is my plan. Now it can be. You know, I'm not saying that they don't always not line up. I'm not saying that. But there are some assumptions that happen at times. And then uh, that brings me to the second point, or the second phase. You watch your plan die. Can anybody feel anything as I have said that? <laughs> you watch your plan die. It is not turning out the way that you thought it was going to. After Jesus' Passover meal with his disciples, they go to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going to pray. Jesus needs to pray. And then he goes back to his disciples. He had asked them to pray also, but they had been tired. So just like you and I, in our prayer times, at times they were, they were out. And in Luke 22, verse 47, it says this. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas... Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then scripture simply says later, Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Jesus, I mean the disciples, they've got to be thinking, Jesus didn't even try to stop this. How does this line up with the plan? He, he's letting it happen. They're, you know, they're going through a lot, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Well, we know from uh, reading the Gospels, there were several times that Jesus was questioned and, and tried to, uh, people tried to trick him. You know, lawyers and, and uh, the uh, people who understood the law very, very clearly. They came to Jesus at times trying to get him to trip up with questions they asked. And Jesus always had the wisest answer. 
He just always got out of it. You know, and, and made the rest of them look dumb. I love reading those stories. They're just To me, it's just fun. But Jesus has always been able to say the things that would just clarify everything. So, you know, they're thinking, if Jesus starts talking to Pilate, nothing's going to happen to Jesus. Okay? Because he always has the right thing to say. Well, the religious leaders bring him to Pilate, the Roman governor of the region, because the Romans are the only ones that can... Uh, give out the death penalty. The Jewish leaders didn't have the power to do that. It had to be a Roman, so that's why they're taking him there. And they're going to accuse him of all these crimes so that, uh, that the uh, pilot will give him the death sentence. But look what it says in Scripture, Matthew 27. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. He's not defending himself. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus is refusing to defend himself. Jesus, see, the plan is, you're going to come, you're going to be the king. We're going to make you the king. And you're going to wipe out the Romans. And then Israel will be a free nation, and you'll just rule the whole world. Jesus, that's the plan. Jesus isn't going along with the plan. Have you ever found Jesus doesn't always go along with your plan? Somebody's plan is off. I wonder whose it is. Well, the one that they thought would be their conquering king, they now see him being nailed to a cross. Like a criminal. And insult to injury, the sign right above Jesus. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Insult to injury. His followers, they're watching. They're waiting. They've seen Jesus do many miracles. They've seen Jesus do a lot. They're still holding on to the plan. Any moment now, he could come down off that cross and kill those Romans that were gambling for his garments and stuff. I mean, he could, any moment, it could happen any moment. So they're watching. And they watch. And they watch. And their hope is getting less and less. And finally, their whole plan dies. Everything that they thought was going to happen Everything they'd planned out. Everything they'd invested their time and imaginations in. It dies. It's dead. This is turning out all wrong. Something's messed up. And then Jesus is taken down. Put in a tomb. Stones rolled in front of the tomb. 
nothing is turning out like they planned. Nothing. Phase one. You assume your plan is God's plan. Phase two. You watch your plan die. But phase three. I want to finish with that one. I believe there's some people here this morning that this is just like really hitting home. And for others, it's maybe not that big of a deal. Because, you know, we're all different phases of life. But if you're one of those where it's hitting home, where your plans that you've invested so much time into, and they just seem to have died. Things didn't happen when you thought they should happen. Things didn't come about. Things didn't get accomplished. Things didn't work out like you had planned. The big question is, did God fail? Did God fail? Now we know the answer up here, but in here, some of us sometimes say, God failed. Alright? Did God fail? Well, the third phase. Seeing God's plan fulfilled. Now I didn't say your plan and God's plan. I said seeing God's plan fulfilled. Jesus was put in a tomb on Friday. Now it's Sunday. We're going to start reading in the scriptures. And this is happening on a Sunday. It's Luke chapter 24. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there these days? What things? Jesus asked. Jesus is playing with them, man. (laughs) About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. The whole plan is just a mess. It's a mess. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Yeah, whatever. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said. But him, they didn't see. Jesus wasn't there. And now Jesus starts talking. And he says to them, How foolish you are. (laughs) Couldn't he have been nicer, Jesus? How foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He just spells the whole thing. They still don't know it's him. Finally, they enter a home and he stays to eat with them and then he reveals himself. Uh, They understand it's Jesus and then he disappears. See, there was a difference between their plan and God's plan. Okay? Their plan, Jesus would conquer the Romans. But that wasn't God's plan. Jesus came to conquer sin. He came to conquer the power of sin so that it would no longer have master over people's lives. Whose plan is better? Jesus's. Jesus came to conquer death. Aren't you thankful for that? He came to conquer death. He came to bring eternal life. It was a good plan. It was a good plan. He didn't come to set a nation free. He came to set you free. He came to set you free. It's awesome. It's awesome. No longer captives to Satan or sin. God's plan was a lot greater than people assumed. Now here's where I want to be careful. Because I don't want to be quick to say, thus saith the Lord. I want to be careful about that. Because maybe sometimes it's a thus saith Mike. And, And there's a big difference between the two. But as I was doing this message, it's like, God, what's the point of this message? I mean, what... What are you wanting me to get to? What's the point? And please, let you put your name on this thing, okay? Put your name on this. And I'm just going to share with you what came to me as I was asking that. And he, the impression I had was that some of my people have thought that their plan was his plan. And now they've watched their plan die. And they're disappointed in themselves or they're disappointed in me. And that's where they're at right now. But here's what I want them to do. I want them to stop hanging so tightly onto their plans. They have a death grip on their plans. They won't let them go. They won't let them go. They won't let them go. I want them to release their plans and give them to me. Give them to the Lordship of Jesus. But my plan has to work out this way. That's the only way that's going to make it... No. Stop hanging so tightly onto your plan. And this was the other thing that came to me. And start hanging like like that onto Jesus. I don't want to give up my plan. All my hopes are in my plan. 
Well, Jesus' plan is usually better. <laughs> and I said usually sarcastically. <laughs> Please don't put that on the internet. But <laughs> Give your plans to Jesus. And then learn to just trust Jesus. And then let His plan start to rise up in your heart. Okay? Sometimes the death of a plan uh, leads to the resurrection of God's true plan. (laughs) Okay? And I realize this is touchy ground because... um, you know, serious things happen in people's lives, and I don't. I don't want to play with that kind of stuff. I don't want to treat it lightly. Okay, so I, I'm I'm cautiously giving you this message. But if your plan has died, let me tell you, Jesus hasn't. He died, but he's alive to never die again. He's alive. You need to let go of this thing. You need to let it go. Let Jesus be Lord and let the plan of God start to build and flow. Does that witness with anybody today? Okay, because I want you to hear from the Lord. And let me just say this, for those that look at the past and say those were the good old days, no. No. Let me tell you, there is more glory in the future than there is in the past. Don't stay stuck there. Okay? Jesus is faithful. He is faithful. One other thing came to me, and I'll finish with this. And that was just this morning as I was going over the message. I always go over the message on Sunday morning just to see how awesome it really is before I come here. It's kind of like, wow! God, you're so lucky! Now I give him an opportunity to change anything that needs to change, okay? That was awesome yesterday, but today this is trash, God. What do you want? <laughs> One other thing came to me, and uh, I hadn't thought of it yesterday, but it came to me this morning. You know, as Jesus was going down on the donkey into Jerusalem, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, he said something. He said it to the city of Jerusalem, but the Lord kind of brought it to mind. And, he, and he, it was like he was saying, I want you to let them know how often I have longed to gather you in my arms. Like a hen gathers its chicks. You may think right now the plan is dead, it's over, what can happen? What can... And the Lord would say, I just want to gather you in my arms. Like a hen gathers its chicks. But you have to let me. You have to let me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And, you know, I'm just going to open up the altar this morning because I don't really know what all the Lord is doing. I don't need to know what all the Lord is doing. But I feel like He is speaking to people very individually. And 
Uh, I'm not going to say if you need this, come to the altar. This morning it's just like the altar is open. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, if you want to come and you want to clarify some things with Him, give some things to Him, whatever you need to do in your heart, just please do. I want you to come and meet with the Lord. Um, you can go home. I mean, you, you can go home and talk with him there too. But there's something about just responding quickly to what God is doing. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And uh, Pastor Zach and the worship team are going to lead us in, uh, in a final worship song here. But as they start, again, the altar is just open. If you, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, saying, I want you to come up there. I want you to meet with me. I want us to talk. I want us to pray. I want us to whatever needs to happen. Then just follow through with that, okay? Just follow through with that.